This episode is part two of our starting a project studio. And we don't want it to sound too basic, maintaining yeah. a project studio. Yes. All the things to consider when talking about project studios. And obviously this podcast has a lot to do in general with project studios, but we chose to start with this series because we wanted people to have a good start and not make it too advanced to where people would kind of lose us and not and lose interest. But we also didn't want to make it too general where, uh, you know, the people that already know what they're doing is going to get bored, you know. But trust me, we'll get we'll get into good stuff. API. Uh-huh. Uh. Yeah, we'll get into that. Okay. So, last time we talked about computers, DAWs, and we talked for quite a while about different things. And one thing, me and Daniel have voted uh, the PreSonus Fire Studio to be one of the best values in the market. At Pretty much. Still. I mean, it's like 500 bucks. Comes with eight preamps, which also happen, you know, are eight converters. Um, and it also has MIDI in and out. Headphone out, too. Headphone out. It's got a main out, and you've got individual outputs for every single preamp. It's just a really great piece of gear. And it even comes with uh, PreSonus's DAW software that's new called Studio One. Yeah. And in the end, even if they're, it's a brand new uh, DAW, but, I mean, they're going to always get a new one. You can always get a new one. And really, when you're just starting off, I mean, you don't, you're going to be practicing a lot of other things, just basic recording, you know, I mean. It's a great you I can, mean, great starter. You can get great. Cubase for, what, 500 bucks now? Oh, yeah. Not not. So you can spend 500 bucks on that and 500 bucks on Cubase, get eight preamps, Cubase, which is, a, I mean, one of the most popular, if not the most popular, native DAW there is, yeah. other than Pro Tools, you know? Acoustic treatment is our topic today. Acoustic treatment. A lot of stuff to talk about. Let us give a warning about this episode. <laughs> Me and Daniel are not experts. Uh, not in the least. Acoustic treatment is something that you could go and get your own field in acoustics. You know, there's yeah, you get, a lot you of... You can pretty much get a doctorate in acoustics. There's a, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to consider with, with acoustics. A lot of it's math, you know, and that kind of stuff. I don't really find myself having a necessity to get into that, Mm-mm. you know, and Most so I don't. Most people are just going to need to know the basic information. Yes. And for us, I mean, me and Daniel experience acoustic problems and acoustic situations all the time, so... And acoustic arguments. And acoustic <laughs> arguments. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> and we are, we're always learning stuff, so we're definitely not perfect, but we want to give the information that we know is yeah. and pretty you know, accurate. And if it's something false, hey, email us. Please, Call us out. Please, please yeah. do. We are open to being taught also. Yeah. Because um, in the end, we want to help other people learn, you know, and in turn, we need to be learning. Yeah, so, definitely. I learn all um, this. I, we learn stuff all the time. I remember, I can't tell you how many times I've called Daniel and like two in the morning. Just shared information <laughs> about <laughs> random findings Kendall, of the day. Kendall, I, I'm, you just woke me up. Just listen. Just listen. <laughs> it's cool. This new plugin. <laughs> um, okay. So. First thing we got to consider, if you absolutely do not have the money or the time or the whatever... Or even the want, you know. ...to get acoustic treatment, the only thing you really have on your side is placement. And even when you do have ac- acoustic treatment, you still need placement. Placement's really important. Placement's important, period. period. And we're, when we're talking about more than just mic placement. We're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, your mixing placement, your desk, where your desk is, also where your monitors are, where the monitors are in relation to your ears... Obviously, if you're recording, you want to stay away from, like, air conditioning vents. You want to keep your desk not too close to a wall, but, I mean, obviously, it should be closer to one wall than the others. I mean, you don't want your desk just in the center of the room, just sitting there. Um, a lot of things to consider if you don't have a lot of money to spend in acoustic treatments. Um, 
you know, you can find things around your house, makeshift acoustic absorbers, you know. I mean, sound clothes, stuff like blankets, absorb pillows, absorb sound. And that's really what acoustic panels do is they absorb those frequencies to give a nice balance. So you're hearing the music. You're not hearing the room. You're hearing the music. And also that no matter where you record within the room, the response is very similar. You know, if you place a mic a foot away, you're still going to get a pretty good response as opposed to get placing it two feet away. Um, they'll be pretty similar. So, um, they sell sound blankets, which are just, they're inexpensive blankets that are more Kind of like moving to, blankets. Yeah. They're, they're decent. They actually do enough. They're more apt to absorbing sound than normal blankets. Um, what we don't want to tell you, and this is what a lot of people think, covering your walls in acoustic panels completely or egg crate foam or whatever. Yeah. It's not going to do what you need. Yes. It just isn't. Because, again, it's not it's not to soundproof your room or to... It's not to deaden your room. It's not, yeah, because when you put too much stuff up, it's going to make your room dead, you know? It's so that you can hear the sound from your speakers so that you know what your audience will be hearing. You, you know? want it to sound you real. To, you don't. You want to hear the signal that your speakers are putting out, not what your room is reflecting and sending into your ears. If you want some of those sound blankets, you can get them over at a place called Marker Tech. Um, and, they, and I think they're maybe $30, and they're actually decent, but they, again, they don't do a very good job with the low end of frequencies. They're mainly for high-end absorption, but they do an okay job if you're just starting out. You know, you can put them on a few of the uh, like mic stands, and they do an okay job. The best type of acoustic treatment that it's kind of generally accepted is rigid fiberglass panels. These are comprised of fiberglass that is compressed. Some companies that sell these are Acoustamac, GIK, Real Traps, and one company that's really interesting is a company called Ready Acoustics that has a lot of DIY solutions where you can buy the fiberglass and you can buy like these almost like pillowcase sort of things with a zipper. And it sounds really weird. You got you got to just go over and see it. But the panels actually turn out really nice. Um, what we're looking for here is two separate things in in terms of absorption. We're looking for low end absorption and mid and high frequency absorption. Bass panels or low frequency panels, which are called bass traps, are normally they're ranged to be about four or more inches. You know, they're usually about two feet by four feet. Low frequencies <laughs> tend to build up in corners because of Two boundary surfaces within a room. If you were to walk up to a surface, boundary surface, like a wall, the low frequencies would be accentuated by a little bit, as opposed to the center of the room now, or a different place in the room other than up next to the wall. However, when you move closer to where two boundary surfaces meet, their frequencies are combined, and that's why that builds up. And there can be a large buildup, especially if you've got three corners, actually, because you've got wall, like a left wall, a right wall, and then a flat ceiling. That can be a big problem. Okay, base traps will normally be applied in corners um, where where two walls meet, um, normally in ceiling corners where the, all three of the walls meet also. Base traps are more necessary in small rooms because sound has less room to dissipate. You might be recording in your room. Say you're recording in your room, you might not have the money to buy traps and acoustic panels for your whole room. So going to a smaller room would ensure that you wouldn't need to spend as much money bass traps and uh, acoustic panels because there's not as much room to Not as much surface area to treat. The fact that it's just a small room, I mean, it's, it's halfway to being an ISO booth. What you don't want, though, is to think that 
Just because it's a smaller room and you don't have to treat as much, it's going to sound better. A lot of times the small rooms tend to sound boxy and kind of, I don't know, nasally almost if they're not treated well or not treated at all. Especially, I mean, if there's nothing at all, even, I mean, no carpet, no anything. Also, we have mid and high frequency absorbers, which are generally one or two inches of rigid fiberglass or compressed fiberglass. And these are going to be really important in the taming of reflections and the taming of kind of the high frequency smearing that happens a lot of times with rooms and uh, like that reverby sound almost. I, I can't really describe it. Um, but when you start to get into low frequency absorption with bass traps, you start to talk about things like, you know, modal ringing and cancellations and peaks and nulls. And um, I wish we had all the time in the world just to talk about all the specifics, but we don't. All right, now moving on, we need to talk about rooms. One big problem with rooms, in, especially in a house or in a project studio, is isolation. You got loud stuff, you got drums or guitar amps or whatever. You're going to need to isolate it to get a very clear sound. For drums, generally, you know, you want a bigger room sound. You want a powerful room sound. Or, I mean, I guess depending on the genre, you can have a really tight sound, more like a, uh, a poppier recording, I guess. Like a John Mayer might have a really tight, dead drum sound. Some good ideas. We've got go into a closet. Record away from your computer or use a cardio cardioid mic with the null point facing the computer to help avoid any sound from the computer fans or anything like that. Another good thing to consider is this product called the Portable Vocal Booth by Real Traps. And it's basically like this little high-frequency absorber that's folded in half and you put it on top of a, uh, on top of a mic stand. And it really helps you kind of isolate that microphone for just that one singer. So if you've got a singer and you really want an isolated sound, you can record with just that. And if that's really one of the only things you want isolated, I mean, and, that, and then that works. I mean, obviously it's not going to just make the sound of a guitar amp just cut off as soon as it hits the vo portable vocal booth, but it can help kind of isolate it a bit. But we suggest for really loud things, trying to put them in a separate room if you have. If you have two rooms, it's, it's really hard to record loud things in the control room. I know a lot of you probably do it, but it's such a luxury to have more than one room. As a general rule, stay away from glass. Uh, glass tends to have really unpleasant reflections, especially for things like vocals and acoustic guitar. just doesn't sound too good. Sort of a rule of thumb you can also consider is that if you think of sound, if, you're talk if we're talking about isolation and getting sound, you know, this is when we're starting to talk about soundproofing rather than acoustics, um, and isolation, but you can think of sound like water. Anywhere that water could escape from a room, you can so can sound. That means underneath a door crack or through a crack in the window or whatever. I mean, sound is going to escape. Um, but you also have to consider that low-end frequencies are really powerful, and you're going to hear them. Uh, think about when you're driving down the road and you hear someone's bass rumbling away in the car. I mean, it's going through metal. And it's really powerful. You can't usually hear any high end from that unless they open their window or open their door. It's like sound condensation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, things to avoid when you're picking a room to be either your control room or your recording room, honestly, would be uh, stay away from rooms that are cubic, as in rooms that may be 10 feet by 10 feet by in dimensions. 10 feet. It, yeah. 
um, you want to stay out of rooms like because of reflection times being the exact same between all parallel surfaces, um, you can deal with a lot of bad things that happen with reflection. Cancellations. Yes. Uh, phase. Terrible problems. Terrible problems that you don't... I Especially mean, they for a mixing room. Um, high ceilings generally sound better for drums, live instruments, but vocals uh, usually prefer a deader space. Um, a makeshift closet would be ideal for vocals. Um, because you don't, unless if you're looking for a live, a live sound vocals, you don't necessarily want to be in a big room. Normally when you're in a smaller room, it's more of an intimate, um, you feel like you're there, presence in the vocals. Um, for drums, on the other hand, you normally, most people prefer a big, large room. You'll see big old, like, uh, Abbey Road Studios records their drum in this massive, massive, massive room, like, gymnasium huge, just like, um... It's all acoustically treated, you know, um, but it sounds great. I mean, the Beatles, I mean, they sound great, you know. Um, Another thing you have to consider, though, is obviously in a perfect world, you could have an ISO booth for drums, too. Or you could put a drum kit in a very small, tightly treated room mm-hmm. for if you wanted that sort of sound. One benefit of having a dead room, especially for vocals, is that you can really tailor the sound. Um, if you're recording vocals in more of a live room you kind of have to deal with the reverb that's already there, and you can't take out that reverb, or you can't take out that room tone later. Now, for drums, though, part of the drum kit sound is the fact that the drums are in a room. That's just part of the sound that we think of when we think of a good-sounding drum set. We think of, oh, that, that sounds like a drum set in a room. We don't think of just, oh, that's a drum set, like, in a dead room, you know? A lot of pop stuff has a tight drum sound, and for certain genres, that's really great. Um, I will say for most rock stuff, you're going to want a bigger room for drums. That is, uh, drums normally tend to sound um, more live. When we say live, it's because uh, the sound from the drums has more time to develop in the air. I mean, if you've ever seen like room mics, mics that are placed really, really far away from the drum mic, the other mics, you know, like you've seen people when they mic drums, they put mics on each and every drum mic, each and every drum. And then they'll put mics way, way a ways back. And sometimes you can see like up to anywhere from two to forever amount of room mics because they want to capture that sound, that live sound, because the drums have more time to develop. Now, if you do have a small room, or I guess I should say if you have a room with a lower ceiling, sort of the thing you can try to do to kind of get a bigger or better sound even if you treat the ceiling, it's kind of creating the idea that there's a ceilingless room. Since sound is just all reflections and the compression and decompression of airwaves, we're dealing with reflections. And if sound is being, especially for a drum kit, if you've only got, if you've got like a 10 foot ceiling and the snare drum is two or three feet off the ground, you've only got about seven feet of space, which is not nearly enough considering you're also going to have overhead mics and room mics and everything. So one thing you can do is treat the ceiling, especially above where you would keep a drum kit. This is really going to help with the overall tone of the drums. It's really going to help with how the drums sound when they're hit. I mean, the sound is projecting upward, and most of the time, I'd say a good 80% of the drum sound comes from the overhead mics and the room mics, at least in my rock recordings that I tend to do. That's just so much of the sound is the room mics and the overheads. If you have a good sound from your overhead mics, the other mics are just sort of to fill in. The kick and the snare and the tom mics are just to fill in. They're not really to encompass the tone. 
so much of the body and the liveness or the depth of the drums comes from room mics and overhead mics. Now, one thing that I've learned recently within the last few years is that space in terms of recording distance, like how far you put the mics from things, also equals depth, meaning if you have to keep the mics within a foot of something just to remove the room tone, like if you have to put a mic like six inches away from an acoustic guitar because you're worried about the room tone, then you really need to treat the room. Um, now, obviously, for things like guitar amps, that's something you can kind of keep close anyway because it sounds really good generally. Yeah. Um, but for something like an acoustic guitar, I mean, you wouldn't put your ear six inches away from the acoustic guitar neck. I mean, that's just not where we listen. Generally, when someone's playing, you know, you say, hey, Daniel, could you play me that new song you wrote? You'd be sitting somewhere between, you know, three and six feet away. Now, that's not saying that you're going to be putting a mic six feet away. However, you got to consider that. Your ears have the ability to kind of remove some of the room tone because you're focusing on the instrument. Well, microphones don't really have that ability. Uh, microphones don't have brains. They only can pick up what they see. And if they see a, a, a guitar in a room, they're going to pick up both. They're not just going to be smart and pick up the guitar only. You want to get the most raw recordings you can, the most raw, good-sounding recordings. A lot of this stuff you say, you hear people say, oh, we can fix it in the studio. You can, but you can't. There are some things you can do, like gating, and, you know, you can EQ some of the low end and top end out of a room to make it sound less roomy and you can kind of EQ some of the range between like 300 and 500 hertz to get rid of some boxiness but but it's always 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 better to record it right yeah you know you 100% can't ever, of the time there's no, no excuse for yes always yeah because um, in the end your recordings will end up sounding unnatural hi-fi you know they won't sound great you know yeah you don't want to have to fix things later. You want to use your mics as your EQ. You want to use your preamps and your room and your placement as your EQ before you even touch a compressor, EQ, any kind of processor. You want it to be tailored as close to how you want it to sound it as, as soon as you can, as early as possible, meaning it starts with the source. Choose your right instrument. Choose the acoustic guitar that you really think sounds good for the song. If you listen to the guitar and it doesn't sound right, if it doesn't sound good, what makes you think it's ever going to sound good recorded? So you just got to consider that. I mean, why? if you put a vocalist next to a microphone within a few inches, it's going to sound like that in the recording. It's going to sound like they're up close and personal, right next to your face. Now, if you've got a vocalist who's singing a rock song and you want it to sound like he's back with the band and not just like an inch away from your face, back the mic up a little bit. Back up the mic maybe a foot. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You got to think about depth, though in terms of recording space and distance. And if you do back up the vocalist a foot from the mic and you're getting way too much room, that's a sign that you should probably treat your room. Because a foot is really not that much space. Now we move on to the subject of monitoring, which deals with listening and mixing through your monitors. Now, once you kind of get your trackings problem, tracking problems nailed out, the ideal control room would be to have a room, rectangular, um, 10 by 22 or something like that. Your desk should not be placed against a wall by any means. You need to have room for the back of your speakers to um, let the air move back because you also need to hear from the back of your speakers too, honestly. 
um, your speakers all around are what put out the sound from the top, from the bottom. You don't only hear what the cone puts out, you hear what everything puts out. Theoretically, your monitors should be placed uh, in an equilateral triangle from your speakers to your ears, as in your speakers should be um, spaced, like we'll just say spaced between each other approximately five feet, and then you, in turn, would be placed from either speaker five feet. Each ear. Each ear would be placed five feet. Uh, also, your ear is supposed to be at tweeter height, theoretically. Um, this is debatable on whether you want to, how you want to mix. You know, that's all just stuff of how you do your own thing. You know, if you mix better blindfolded <laughs> with uh, with earmuffs on, your mixes sound good, whatever. Do it. I mean, hey, it's all about how you like to mix, you well, know. The but NS10s, in the end, the, the original NS10s had the woofer and the tweeter. People would lay them sideways. And so, I mean, how can you say it then? Oh, yeah, well, it needs to be tweeter height. Well, it's also woofer height. Yeah. It's it really depends on now now another thing, don't turn your speaker sideways just because it looks cool. Many speakers are made to be on their side. However, ninety percent of speakers are made to sit upright. So keep them upright. Um symmetry is important when you're placing your monitors in a room too. You want your desk to be centered. Um and otherwise symmetrical as in you could take a line straight down your whole entire control room and everything would be symmetrical. That's ideal for reflections, everything so you can even out everything so you know where to put your acoustic panels, so you know what your room sounds like, you know. Yeah, you don't want to have to deal with your desk being angled or your monitors being angled in relationship to a wall. And you don't want to back yourself into a corner, etc. etc. Um, you're going to have problems with this, most likely, because most likely you don't have a room that's 10 by 22, you know, and you don't have, you probably have lots of other things in your control room, I don't know, for instance, couches, uh, maybe your bed, who knows, um, you could be doing this in your living room, for all anyone knows, you could have your front door, you could have the weirdest, most ridiculous room that you're doing this and in, honestly, you know? many times bedrooms are fairly cubic, they're um, pretty close to being cubic. In living rooms are too. Ideal situation would be honestly a game room. Um, yeah, a lot of game rooms are uh, nice rectangular. But you want to game apply... rooms too have a slanted ceiling or like a pointed one that goes up. Yeah. And honestly, if you if you have a house that has one of those rooms, a lot of houses are starting to have them. Maybe upstairs that has like a long room with kind of a I can't think of it like a pointed ceiling. It goes up on both sides. Um, that would be. Just about the best place to do recording, because generally it's rectangular, and also generally it has maybe a window at the end. You can kind of cover that window or treat it or something. Yeah. But the having the ceiling slant up is good because the ceiling is now not parallel to the floor, um, and it also has a higher ceiling to let sound kind of dissipate up there. Yeah. Theoretically, you also want to avoid parallel walls. You know, I mean, in your, if you're in your house, that's pretty, that's pretty much, much unav- happen. <laughs> that's that's pretty much unavoidable. But you want to apply as many rules as you can to your house. You know, that's going to take a lot of experimenting, a lot of thought to how you're going to do all this. You know, and if you need to send a blueprint of your room to our recording lounge, go ahead. We'll help you out as much as we can. You know, you I you know what you can and can't do. We don't. Um, we can help you out as much as we can. Also, you know? in terms of budget and yep. any you know, any if you're looking to, if you say, hey, I only have. $400 right now to spend on and, my room. And I I know that this $400 is designated to acoustic treatment only, no mics, nothing else. We can help you with that. We can help you with $400 worth and you get know, you the best that you need. It might not even be acoustic panels. It could be just room placement, you know, buying other things to maybe even make 
acoustic panels, you know, I mean, if, Definitely. I mean, depending on your budget, we can, we can yeah, work with depends. you. I mean, we might, it might be experimenting in ourselves, you know, I mean, Definitely. um, any questions, you know, we're more than happy to help answer to our fullest potential. And if we don't know the answers, by all means, we find them. So we will find them for you. We, we will find them. That's not a problem. Uh, we know a lot of people that can help with these questions and, so if um, you do have questions, you can email us at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Please do. Please don't hesitate. We're co- we're cool enough people. We're not going to judge you. Hell, if you Daniel even might. if you know more than us. Daniel might judge you. Yeah, I might. He's actually, I actually hate him a whole lot. <laughs> we're actually, there's actually a restraining order right now. That's why we're sitting so far away from each other. Now we move on to monitoring techniques. There's a few things you need to consider. One is volume. Um problem is a lot of people tend to just naturally listen loud there's a lot of problems with this because when you turn up your speaker sometimes everything sounds good it just it makes the drums sound powerful it makes the vocals sound punchy everything just sounds good because of the volume and the speakers and the moment and it's also being heard in the room and there's just it's just a huge bias so i really don't i really suggest listen quieter than you, yeah. you I mean, if you need would. if you need to listen loud to get into your mix before you start, that's great. That's awesome. But because, when you're actually making critical yes. decisions, don't do it. For um, sure. However, you also don't want to listen too quietly. Generally, if you're listening quiet, sometimes you can't hear the low end really well. So what happens sometimes is you tend to overcompensate and add more more low end than you really need. So you turn the bass guitar up or the kick way up, and then when later you have a chance to listen loudly. You turn it up, and the low end is just, like, overwhelming. Uh, so, theoretically, the best volume to listen to is part of what's called the Fletcher-Munson curve, which is where your ear hears the best balance of lows and highs, and that is theoretically at 84 decibels SPL. If you really want to find this out, go get an SPL meter. And some people really do this. Some people actually sit down and make sure they're mixing at 84 decibels. And... I bet they have good success with it because it's that's how your ear works. Uh, another thing to consider is you need to take breaks no matter what listening volume you have. Supposedly, you need to take a 10-minute break for every 50 minutes of, of continual listening. Now, it's, like, it's like the equivalent. You get the equivalent of what tunnel vision is in your ears. Definitely. Definitely. And that's a very good way to put it because you can listen to something for hours and hours and make all these corrections and then go back and find that it's worse than when you started. So many times, uh, I've done rough mixes for things and because I just get a rough balance, I'm not thinking about specifics. I get this really great natural sounding mix. And then later, sometimes I'll go back and try to fix all these things and it just never sounds as good. All speakers, all of them are different. You're, some people might like one kind of speaker your ears might like another. You're never, like... The best way is just to experiment, honestly, with other speakers. You can't ever say this one is really that much better than the others. It just... A lot of it's, it's about different. your ear. It really is. It's different. Five-inch monitors, they're less expensive, but you might have to comp for the low end with a sub because uh, bigger speakers put out more low end. Or better low end. Or Yeah. Five-inch monitors tend to be standard in some ways, but... Sometimes you can't really get the low-end response, the extended low-end response that you need to really hear what's going on down in, like, 50, 60 area. Ideally, you'd want 7-inch monitors. You're getting into a different price range there, but um, 
in the end, it's... You're, you will thank us. <laughs> in the end, it's better. Because unless if you're doing 5.1 surround sound, which I'm assuming... Not I'm many just people gonna, are. I'm just going to assume that you're not, unless you're doing motion picture films in your house, then <laughs> we'll just say that you're not. Um, then 7 inches, 7 inch speakers with no sub is ideal. Because that's how you hear music normally. Um, you don't want to exaggerate your mix with a subwoofer. It might sound great while you're listening to it right now, but you take that to your car stereo, you're going to hear so much sub, it'll be ridiculous. <laughs> or you might not hear any at all. Yeah. You know? Sometimes be... the sub can exaggerate it so much that it sounds awesome on your system, and then you take it to the car, and there's absolutely no low end. Mm-hmm. So you got to be, and obviously, you can take time and really calibrate it, but. In the end, a 7-inch monitor, generally, like some of the Mackie, what is it, the 824 stuff? Yeah. A lot of that stuff really goes down to about 20 hertz and all the way up to 20 kilohertz. And They sound good. They do. They do sound good. And it's not just that. Sometimes you got to be really careful with monitors. Make sure and check the frequency response of them because some monitors will say, oh, yeah, it goes 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. However... If you look at the frequency response, there's like a huge roll-off all the way from 20 to 90, and there's just not much low end. And so you could get the speakers. This has happened plenty of times. You get speakers, or you're mixing on a set of speakers, and you find that your mix sounds great initially, and then you take it to another set, and it doesn't translate one bit. Many times, many, many times, it is not you. It's just the speakers and your ears. It's just how you relate to speakers. Some people really like the NS10s, you know? Some people don't. I do. They don't sound that great, but that's the, that's the old statement that everyone's heard. If you, if, you sound, if you can get your mix to sound good on the NS10s, it'll sound good anywhere. In that, it's kind of like a puzzle. you got to consider that a lot of monitors like NS10s are not mains. They are reference speakers, meaning... They're a real-world reference, and they help. Tr- they necess- don't necessarily make a mix sound good, but they make the mix sound really translatable to all systems. Yeah, you want to use your uh, reference speakers, I mean, along with your main speakers, but whenever you're listening to reference speakers, um, I've been in situations where I didn't have them, and then it's a one-shot deal. I make the mix, and I, take, I took it to my car one time, and uh, it sounded terrible in my car. The bass parts would just be pronominant sounding great other times it would be quiet i couldn't hear it and then all of a sudden it would just explode in my face just like wow that's a lot of bass (laughs) you know i mean you don't you need to use your reference speakers to your advantage yes i mean they're not but i mean in reality most people are going to be listening on speakers that are going to be better than that you know i mean ipod headphones sound better than that you know yeah they're not crap i mean you know a lot of a lot of people are in the consumer industry, at least, are desiring more high-quality sound speakers. However, you got to consider a lot of those people, when they go to their car, they just scoop out the mid-range, turn up the highs, and turn up the lows, which is a problem. One thing that we really recommend is a set of con- computer speakers. I mix with a set of computer speakers, and I know Daniel does. And this is really not necessarily to get like a real world reference i know a lot of people are listening on those when they're at their computer or whatever but mainly for the mid-range eq a lot of it is about your mid-range eq and, and getting your sound right because generally these speakers don't have a ton of high end and they don't have a ton of low end i think most of them cut off around 80 or 90 hertz and maybe somewhere between 15 17 kilohertz 
So you're not getting the really high top end and the really low, low end. So the good thing about this is you have more room to focus on the mid-range. The mid-range consists of the fundamentals and the body of most instruments, almost every instrument that is. I find that generally things that are in the low end, like le- like below 100 hertz, are like kick drum and bass. And that's pretty much it. Not a whole lot of other stuff rolling around there. Much other stuff is somewhere between 100 or somewhere between 80 and 8K. And above that, above 8K is usually just cymbals, maybe the top end of voice, the top end of an acoustic guitar, um, not much else. And sometimes percussion. You want a reference to what someone might be listening on. There are people out there that listen on crappy computer speakers. And a lot of times it's because they get a computer and it just comes with it. Another really interesting thing to try is listen to your music on a laptop. Uh, I tried that recently and it was very surprising because the way laptop speakers are designed generally is to sound kind of hyped, to make music sound as good as they possibly can for such a small speaker. But usually that means not a lot of low end. And so you've got to make sure that your upper harmonics are still mirroring the low end and making sure you can hear the fundamentals of the notes and that the bass guitar is not just the sole thing making low end. You also should check your mix in mono for any cancellations between left and right. This can generally be a problem with things like cymbals or acoustic guitar or things, anything you record stereo. And you want to make sure that you're not screwing up your mix in mono because there are people that listen in mono. Many times uh, church systems are in mono because they want to make sure the whole crowd can get the same sound at once. Also many times if somebody's listening to something far away, the left and right is kind of blurred. That's why a lot of times when I'm mixing on my computer speakers, I have them off to my side so that I'm not listening, I'm not really listening to left and right. I'm mainly listening to balance and EQ. Many people go to their cars or their mixes because uh, it's another good reference. The majority of people do listen to their music in their cars, you know. I never listen to music when I'm in my car. Um, I'm always listening for things in other people's mixes and just in songwriting stuff. It really is a great way to hear what it will sound like for other people, you know, because the majority of people honestly do listen to music in their cars. And if it can sound good in your car, the, the likelihood of it is it's going to sound everybody el- good in everybody else's car, you know. Now, you might not have a nice Alpine st- stereo system, but it's kind of better if you don't, you know. <laughs> Again, it's kind of better if you don't. We do have an Alpine. I know. Just uh, make a mix, try it out in your car. You know, I mean, this might be for final mixes or whatever, but make a mix, try it out in your car. You know, it's always Drive good around, to overmix. When we say that, we don't mean that your goal is to make sure it sounds good everywhere. Honestly, that's a big part of mastering. Yeah. A big part of mastering is making sure the mix sounds good everywhere. However, you can do as much as you possibly can as a mixer to make your music sound good. But in a, a lot might, of cases... You yeah. don't have a master. In a lot of cases, we don't have a mastering engineer because we're just doing this from home. you got to consider these things. You have to consider sounding good on a few things. One, computer speakers. Two, laptop. Three, car. And headphones. That's pretty much what most people listen on. Another interesting reference that I use is an iPod dock. One of those little things that, you know bunch of kids get for christmas and they're just like oh thanks can't really listen to your music on too many systems obviously try to learn a set of speakers well enough to where your mixes will translate but don't simply stick to one set 
it's just dumb. It really is. Stupid. Stupidity. Stupid. Foolish. Ignorant. You better be listening Arrogant. to this podcast on every system. Make sure we sound good on every system. <laughs> Make a mix. Or don't. <laughs> or, or don't. Don't do that. One thing we need to mention really quickly is what kind of monitor should you be looking for? The frequency response is probably your biggest thing to check on these speakers. Do they have a lot of low end? Is the low end chopped off? Is it is the are the low mids scooped out? Is the is it a really bright set of speakers? The only reason is because some people like me, I don't like bright speakers. I can't mix on a bright set of speakers. I generally like warmer sounding mixes. And if I've got a set of speakers that sounds really bright, I feel like my mixes have to be bright too. So if I'm using a set of speakers that's kind of darker and I make it sound dark, then when you turn it onto a regular system, it sounds more balanced. So really, a lot of it is about learning and learning your speakers and listening a lot. You got to test your ears. I I highly doubt that me and Daniel are gonna get the same monitors at the same times. You know, I mean, there's plenty of monitors ranging from a hundred bucks a pair to thousand bucks a pair to five thousand bucks a pair, and even all more expensive than that. Just make a number, and, and uh, you've probably, got a monitor. Yeah, you probably have a set of that monitors. Price. <laughs> So if might have need, 16 of the monitors. <laughs> but, uh, so if you need help picking monitors, you can go to sweetwater.com or you can email us and tell us about your situation, what you generally mix, and just give us an email at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com and we can help you out. I'm, uh, starting, I'm kind of starting new in all this, fresh. in a sense. Um, fresh He is knows what he's term. doing, but he's never had I his do. own stuff. I've, yeah, I've... Uh, I've always been uh, using other gear, um, learning from other people. Being an assistant. Um, honestly, yeah, really, honestly, I've been an assistant for a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, recently, I'm actually starting to build my own projects to do. And that's why uh, me and Kendall have been talking about this a lot of times. Because, I mean, me and Kendall used to talk for hours upon hours of where I should start with my money. Um, there's so many ways to go. There are. We wrestled um, with a lot of topics. This is one the, of the main reasons also why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, it really is because there's. I'm sure there's a lot of other people that want to get started doing this, but they just don't know where to start, you know? And by all means, get into it, you Especially know? Especially if you're in, like, Wyoming. Yeah. Who do you talk to in Wyoming about a studio? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I'm looking at, for mics, starting out fresh on mics, uh, 214, NKJ 214, can't go wrong there. A uh, stereo pair of that. I can comprehend. I can use those overheads. Uh, Cascade. That I'm going to go in Cascade. Um, also, the uh, Sure Mic package, which comes uh, 357s and, and a Beta uh, 52. A Beta 52. That's a um, great. That's a great deal. Yeah. You can get um, them on eBay for like. Oh yeah, 300. 350 bucks. 300. Yeah, I mean and, they cost about 400. Period. Yeah. Anyways, um, but. Um, it's it, it's less expensive than buying them all separate. It's just a phenomenal deal. It really is. It's a great way to go. Uh, that's uh, six mics right there to fill up. You need um, some small diaphragm. I do. You get a pair of, S, pair of SM81s. I could. But I don't know. Dude, I would get, rather than getting two 214s, I would suggest getting two KM184s and one 214. It's becoming one of the standards for, like, acoustic instruments. And even, like, his overheads. I think it is the standard for ho- for hi-hat in a professional session. A lot of people are using them as overheads, too. KM I really also like those AKG uh, 441s. The what? The 451s? Yeah. Those are nice mics. Those are really nice mics. I really like that mic. For acoustic? Great. And toms? Holy crap. 
Amazing on toms. I never used them on toms, but We acoustic. used them on Adam's toms. Did we? And I used them on the Abeo Cygnus toms. They sounded sick on Abeo Cygnus toms. Hmm. That's just about the best tom mic I've ever heard. <laughs> 184, whatever. Saying the whole name of things is just ridiculous. KM 184. It's better to be lazy about everything you do. <laughs> you start by cutting off words short, then by sleeping in a little too late. Pretty soon. And then you're doing meth. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Pretty soon you're doing meth. That's your risal. It's like, hey, 57. Problems. Is it really that hard to say SM? No. Yeah, and it really, in the end, is it really that hard to say sure microphone 57? It makes you feel better, though, to say just 57. Look how cool I am. I don't have to talk. I don't have to talk in full sentences. 57 is yeah. good. You know, if we scattered everything, people wouldn't question us anyways. I know. 57 is the best back by. <laughs> No, but really, it's a good mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, so that's it for this week of Recording Lounge. I'm Kendall. And I'm Daniel. And if you have any questions, you can email us at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Visit our blog at recordinglounge.blogspot.com. If you're listening on iTunes, you can just go to the page and click website, and it should take you right there. And that, uh, that wraps it up. That wraps it up. Wraps. Takes the cake. Takes the cake. It is... That's it. That's Fat Lady just sang. She is done saying and done No jokes about anybody's mama. No mama jokes. Your mom, Daniel. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>